you to, to ask the Lord to uh, expose in us weaknesses uh, or, or areas of our life where we're not awake and we're not aware. Doubt is one of those that we're going to look into. It's important for us to stay awake and aware in our current predicament. But we all have doubts, don't we? We all have doubts. I know sometimes uh, when, when the, the winter is long and spring is cold and longer like yesterday and the day before, I know I, I, uh, I worry and I doubt that the warmth will ever get here. I know it's kind of a silly thing to worry about, but I mean, we've lived in places where it's cold for a long time. Montana, was uh, it's cold forever. Uh, Poland, it was cold for a long time. It's here, uh, it, it's cold for a long time, and, and sometimes I doubt that it'll happen, and it's kind of a silly doubt, right? It's kind of a silly one. Uh, I'm sure in the midst of this pandemic, some of us uh, are probably doubting that, er- that anything will ever be where we can go out again, and it feels like we're stuck and I, I, I've heard it said, and I've said it, that, that this feels like Groundhog Day, the movie. If anybody's ever seen that, Groundhog Day, the movie, uh, the main actor, Bill Murray, he's stuck. It is Bill Murray, right? Yeah. Bill Murray's stuck repeating the same day over and over and over again. It's the same music, and it's the same food, and it's the same people, and it's the same town, and the same place. Uh, and he can only do certain things to try to, to change it so he can get beyond that one day, and I feel like that, that is true, and, and so sometimes I doubt uh, that this is ever going to end, but these are kind of silly doubts, aren't they? But some doubts aren't so silly. Um, 25 years ago, uh, it, we had a miscarriage in our first pregnancy, uh, and, and after that, we, we worried, and we were anxious, and we wondered, and we doubted, can we get pregnant again? If we get pregnant again, can we carry the baby to term? And we worried about that. Now, the consequences of some of these kinds of doubts are basically non-existent, aren't they? Spring will come whether I doubt that it will come or not. So it's kind of a silly thing to doubt about. It. The, 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 the effect of doubt on spring, basically non-existent. The effect of doubt on whether um, this pandemic will end or not. Basically, there's, there's, there's no effect. There have been pand- pandemics before. There are going to be pandemics again. They've ended. Things went back to a new normal. That's what's going to happen this time. There'll probably be another one in the future. Um, but we don't have to, you know, our doubt has no control over that. Um, and it has no effect. The doubt that we had... In, in worrying whether we would be pregnant again or be able to carry a, a baby to term basically had no effect, although we did have some additional anxiety. We did have some additional worries. So, I mean, you know, doubt, doubt can, can raise anxiety, uh, but it basically had no effect on whether we would become pregnant again. But there's another kind of doubt. There's another kind of doubt that can basically shift the direction of your life. There's another kind of doubt that if we're not careful, uh, it will leave our life uh, and and the prospects for it in such a way that we can never recover, that we can never go back to the way it would have been. It's a life situation thing where that if maybe we had trusted and obeyed and followed, life would have been one way, but we didn't, and now life is another way. And we're going to take a look at that today. The people of Israel know a little bit of, uh, (laughs) they know a little bit of something about this. Uh, we're going to read a little bit of scripture today, quite a bit actually, uh, Numbers 13 and 14. If you look that up on either your phones or some kind of digital uh, 
uh, item that you have, or grab your actual Bible. That's what I have. I'm going to turn to uh, number 13, and we're going to read uh, a little bit about this because the, the people of Israel, they, they knew something about the debilitating effect of doubt and what happens uh, when you doubt in God, and they know the consequences of it. So we're going to start uh, down in uh, Numbers 13, verse 17, but I just wanted to, to mention in verses 1 and 2 what's happening here to kind of give us a background. Uh, the people of Israel have, have escaped Egypt. They've traveled through the sea. They've traveled through the desert. They've come to the promised land, and they've come to the point where the Lord told Moses, send spies out to the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. And then he says, from each of the 12 tribes, choose one man, one chief, one person who's a leader in the tribe, get those 12, send them into the land to check it out. So starting in verse 17, it says, Moses sent them up to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev, go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad whether the cities that they dwell in are, are, are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land, for now is the time of the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, from Lebohamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, Anaman, Sheshai, and Talamai, and the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron had... Uh, was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. Now it continues and says this, they came to the valley of Eskal, they cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on, the pole, on a pole between the two of them. It must have been a huge bunch of grapes. They also brought some, pig, uh, some pomegranates uh, and figs and they called that place the valley of Eskal because of the cluster that the people of Israel had cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and, the, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Starting in 14, verse 1, it says this, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. 
would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred to us. The protection, there, the, the people of the land, he's talking about them, he says, their protection is removed from them and the Lord with us, do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all of the people of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I have done among them? I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a great nation mightier than they. In the next few verses, Moses intercedes before the Lord for the people, and we're going to jump down to verse 20 and verse 14, where the Lord says, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of these who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit, and has followed me, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea." And then we're going to jump ahead to verses 38, uh, 34 through 38, where it says this. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent out to spy the land who had returned made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report of the land. The men who brought up the bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, remained alive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you will teach us something today about doubt and about faith and about belief, and about trust. Lord, as we unpack your scripture, Lord, speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see uh, as we unpack this, is I want us to take a look at how doubt works against us. Doubt works against you, and it works against me. In Numbers 13, 30 through 32, where we read a moment ago, I just want to mention it says, Caleb quieted the people and said, let us go at once and occupy the land. The men who went with him said, we are not able to do it. We are not able to go up against the people of the land. They are stronger. They are of great height. In their report, there's no mention of what God could do. And there's no mention of God's promise and God's guarantee that they will inherit the land. All that they had to do, according to God's promise, was walk into the land and take it upon faith. 
he had removed the, 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 the inhabitants of that land's protection, and he had given his favor to the people of Israel, and all they had to do is walk in and take it. We see doubt leaves out the details. That's the first thing I want us to understand, is that doubt leaves out the details. These men brought a flawed report. They went to uh, the congregation, they went before Moses, and they went before the people, and they said, here are the things that, that we saw that were good, but the, the majority voice of the ten, or 12 spies that went, but the, the majority voice of ten, it says, gave a bad report. It was a flawed report because it only had the bad things in it. Have you ever had that experience where somebody is going to tell you about something and they only give you the bad details? That's what happens here. They brought a bad report, and because of the bad report, they made a bad decision. And they did this because doubt is a liar. So doubt leaves out the details. Second thing I want you to see about doubt is that doubt is contagious. Doubt is contagious. It spreads. I'm not going to read all of Numbers 14, uh, 1 through 12 again, but a couple of verses here are important. It says that that night, all of the people in the congregation raised a loud cry and wept. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said, we should have died in Egypt, let's go back. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Let us choose a leader and return back to where we came from. At first, it was only those 10 out of the 12, the majority, that had the bad opinion and the bad report. But after the bad report was given, we see that the doubt spreads because unchecked doubt is contagious and now not only the 10 thought they shouldn't go but the whole congregation of the people of Israel wept cried and wanted to return in fact they were so upset with the two uh, Joshua and Caleb uh, and Moses that they wanted to stone them they were so upset about the idea of going into the land that they made a bad decision. They were won over to bad thinking because the doubt of the few had become the doubt of the many. And that's a dangerous thing. That's something you need to, to think about and remember about doubt. Third thing I want to mention here is doubt in God stands against the facts of what he's already done. As human, we tend to doubt future possibilities even when past possibilities uh, have had positive outcomes. We forget the good things and we only remember the bad. Numbers 14, 11 says, uh, the Lord is speaking to Moses, and he says, how long will these people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I have done among them? And those signs were, well, there were many. Feeding uh, them in the morning with manna, feeding them in the evening with quail, uh, the pillar of smoke that led them across the desert uh, in the day, uh, the column of fire that led them at night. The rescue from the Egypt, uh, from the Egyptians, including the plagues, uh, the provisions for travel that were given to them, not to mention the passage through the Red Sea when the sea part, they walked through and then it closed on the Egyptians behind them. But in spite of all of the wonders, in spite of all the miracles and all the signs and everything that they had witnessed firsthand when it came to the moment of doing the thing and, and receiving the promise God had given them, they doubted because doubt stands against the facts of what have already happened. God had their best interests at hand, and in spite of all he had done for them, they doubted him. 
So what are some of the dangers of doubt? I want to I talk through these for a couple minutes. Dangers of doubt. The first one, doubt can cause us to question the reality of what God is doing. In the case of the Numbers passage, God gave the people an exceedingly good land. But the people doubted God's plan and provision. When we complain and worry about what God has already promised to do, we find ourselves in danger. Doubt leaves us vulnerable. We are vulnerable because of the basis of our doubt uh, or unbelief. God may actually choose to limit His response to our need. Uh, this story isn't going to be in the, in, in the slides in a moment, but if you turn to Mark 6, uh, you can either look at this now or you can, you can pull it up later. Mark 6, 1 through 6, is a passage I want to read. This is a fascinating story here. Uh, Mark 6, starting in verse 1, it says that this is speaking about Jesus. It says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? Remember, he's at home. These are people that watched him grow up. They said, What is the wisdom given him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And then listen to what it says in verse 5. And he could not do... I'm sorry, remember that again. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So how do we understand this passage? Um, can God choose to do whatever God wants to do? Absolutely. Uh, is he all-powerful? Yes. Can he do anything he wants at any moment? Yes. So how do we understand what's written here? This is what I think we're seeing. What we see here is that Jesus is limiting his response based on the belief or the doubt of the people, the belief or disbelief of the people, on who uh, is there and on their belief in his ability to do as he says he will. This is dangerous. Listen to this. This means if you and I have doubts in God and his abilities, those doubts may become self-fulfilling when God decides not to move based exactly upon the doubt in his abilities that we have in the first place. I know that sounds like a big circle, right? God can do whatever he wants. He's all-powerful. He can move. He can, but, but our doubt doesn't affect his ability, but it may cause him to alter what he had originally planned. Obviously, if we go back to the Numbers passage, what was his original plan? The people will go into the land. They will seize it. They will have success. Uh, they won't have to spend 40 years wandering and dying in the wilderness, right? But because of their disbelief, they had to suffer through these things and die. God limited what he wanted to do and what he could have done based on the disbelief of the people. And we see here again that Jesus does the very same thing. He could have healed and done mighty works and whatever he wanted to. But because of the disbelief of the people, he limited what he did. He did no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. So we have to be careful because our doubt may actually result in God limiting what he initially wanted to do when he finds us to be unfaithful. 
Another thing here, doubt and uncertainty can lead to irrational thinking. Doubt and uncertainty can lead to irrational thinking. We saw that in the case of the spies, right? They thought irrationally. They thought, well, we can't take these guys. They're bigger than us. They're more fortified than us. They're better fed than us. Uh, we shouldn't do this. They made, they made a bad decision, and they, they chose uh, to make an irrational decision. Now, there's another, there's another guy, uh, one of Jesus' disciples named Thomas. Now, this guy has a bad rap. Uh, because of one thing that happened in his life, he has this name. He has this nickname, Doubting Thomas. We've all heard this. He actually had a great name, and you can see it right there. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. He had this great name, Thomas the twin. We should know him as Thomas the twin, but we don't know him as Thomas the twin. We know him as Doubting Thomas because what happened, and we'll see, is that the, the, the 10, well, there were 11 meaning disciples. Judas was already gone. Thomas was out doing something. 10 were home. Christ appeared. They saw him. Then he left. They came back, and this is what happens. It says, Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and my hand into his side, I will never believe. I've always read that and thought, man, that is gross. That is like hardcore. Like I want to poke my hand in the wounds of Christ and then I'll believe. Eight days later, it says, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Doubt and uncertainty can lead to irrational thinking. I don't know about you. Um, it's easy to look back in history, and it's easy to, to look back and criticize something somebody did, and you want to think and, and read the story of Thomas, and you want to hit yourself on the head and go, what was he thinking? Um, but, but really, what was he thinking? I, I would like to think he, he spent every day for three years with 12 guys. Um, Judas was now gone. Well, he was one of and Jesus came and went. Um, so, so he has these 10 guys that are left. They've bonded through, through amazing things. There have been wonderful events. Uh, there have been healings. There have been terrifying events when they were on the boat uh, in the storm. Uh, there have been wondrous and amazing and terrifying things that, that they have bonded together over in 10 years. And these 10 guys, when he comes back, tell him, we've seen Jesus, and he doesn't believe him. I would like to think that in similar circumstances, I would have believed them. If I knew 10 people really well, and I was that bonded with them, and they said, hey, we saw something, or this happened, I, I would like to think I would believe them. I, I know that that's the benefit of hindsight. I would like to think that I would believe, but the fact is, I would probably have have reacted the same way Thomas did, and so would you, because doubt is a very, very strong thing. 
Doubt is a very strong thing. Doubt and uncertainty can lead us to irrational thinking, and Thomas reacted to their story irrationally. These 10 guys, they had nothing to gain by lying, told them they had seen Jesus, and he said, I don't believe you, and I won't believe you until I touch them. I mean, if you think about it, uh, he reasoned that they think they saw Christ, but they didn't, they couldn't have because he was dead, except that he wasn't, and he had to come to terms with that. Next thing I want us to see about doubt is that doubt will always cost us something. Doubt will always cost you and cost I something. In the Numbers passage, the current generation of doubters lost the opportunity to inherit what God had for them. Numbers 14, 34, and 35, it says that they would spend 40 days, uh, 40 years, sorry, for for each of the 40 um, days that they spied in the land. You remember, they went into the land, they spied for 40 days, they came back, they gave the bad report. And he says, for each of the days you were spying in the land, 40 days, I will, I will punish you one year in the desert for each of those. So 40 years you will spend in the desert. Surely I will do this, he says, do this to all the wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In the wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. The cost for them was exceedingly real. Their doubt had real consequences. Their doubt and their disbelief caused them to lose out on the possibility of this wonderful gift of a promised land and instead spend 40 years wandering in circles in the desert just being miserable. The book of James, a book that is very likely written by James, brother of Jesus, um, James talks plainly about the costliness of the doubt uh, of doubt in the life of a Christian. This is uh, the scripture that uh, Ryan read earlier, and I just want to read a portion of it, verses uh, 5 through 8 of chapter 1. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, doubt in God and his provision can actually cost you those provisions. Our doubt can actually bring about the thing to pass that we were worried about from the beginning. If you ask the Father, believe. If you ask without believing, don't be surprised if you don't get it. That's basically, that's as simple as that. It's what the passage says. Now, in our small group last week, we were talking about um, a paraphrase version uh, of Scripture called The Message. It's written by a guy named Eugene Peterson, and he kind of captures uh, Scripture in a different way. It's not a, a, a translation, if you will, of Scripture. Uh, it's a paraphrase. It reads more like a story, and sometimes I like to read these because um, he has an interesting way uh, of seeing and capturing what's written. And so I just want to reread that James 1, 5 through 8 briefly. Uh, out of the message. It says this, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get His help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the Master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. And that's a point that I didn't even make in the message, but it occurs to me that that's another aspect of doubt, isn't it? Doubt keeps all the options open. 
Doubt keeps all the options open. And what happens when you keep all the options open is that you lose. We have to express a faith in God based in belief. If you ask the Father, believe. If you ask without believing, don't be surprised when you don't receive it. It's as simple as that. The last point I want to make here this morning is this, and this is an important one. The doubt of the faithless can affect the lives of the faithful. Look what happens in Numbers 14, 36 through 38. It says, The men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, those men, the men who brought up the bad report of the land, died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, remained alive. Only two of the ten remained alive. And on top of that, only two of the congregation of Israel, of the men, were alive at the end of those 40 years. You might be tempted to think, wow, that's great. Those two guys were faithful uh, and, and they got to inherit the land and they got to go in. Yay, guys, you did a great job. But don't forget, they had to endure 40 years in the desert. They were past their prime now. They were old men. Their 40 years of miserable wandering in the desert, had, they had to walk through that to get to where God would allow them to enter. You think a few months of quarantine are bad? <laughs> Try 40 years in the desert with people who are complaining the whole time. And why wouldn't they complain? They were on their way to a death sentence. It was not their choice. It was not their decision or their faith that brought them to that place, was it? They were, in essence, uh, benefactors of the punishment of the congregation of Israel in spite of their faith. The doubt and the disbelief of, of the ten spies and the congregation of Israel uh, meant that Joshua and Caleb suffered. Remember Numbers thirteen thirty. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. These guys believe we can do it. We can follow God. We can reach out and grab His, his provision for us. Let's go right now. So yeah, Caleb and Joshua were the only ones that inherited the land, but their prime had passed because of the faithlessness of other people. It's a very dangerous aspect of doubt. Doubt can have an effect on other people, so, so beware of that. But I'm, I'm guessing right now you're, you're at this point in thinking, what do I do with my doubt? <laughs> what do I do with my doubt today? You may be sitting there and, and thinking, I've got some doubts. I've got some, some things I'm unsure about. The opposite of doubt are words that sound like this, assurance certainty, belief, and faith. Now, here's the challenge. Here's where I'm going to here's where I'm going to say this is I can't spoon feed you. Uh, I can't spoon feed you anything, but I'm not going to spoon feed you this one. So you you want to know the opposite of doubt and you want to know how to figure that out? Search for and send to your life around the truths of the Bible that bring assurance, certainty, belief, and faith. 
To do this, you're going to have to refresh yourself on what the Bible says. So I'm just going to challenge you. Take time to look for the promises of God because what happened to the people of Israel is, is that they forgot all of the things that God had already done leading up to the moment where he said, go take the land. And then when they doubted, they didn't receive it because they forgot what went before. Don't find yourself there today. Find out what came before. The, the Bible is full of promises. I looked up, uh, I looked up one. But I'm just going to challenge you. Take some time to study the promises of God. You know, you're going to get a, a link in a few minutes. It's going to invite you to, 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 to follow up with the questions online. Do that, but, but take this challenge. Uh, you may, as you do this, want to let us know what you found. So you can send a text. You can send an email. I'll, I'll combine them, and maybe we can even send them back out to everybody in an email. But here's the one um, that I pulled up. Uh, this one is, uh, is one of my favorites. A promise out of Matthew 6. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They neither soar nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who don't know Christ... They seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I love that promise, and Scripture is full of promise after promise after promise. Do you, do you remember... Uh, this fits right in with the end of the, the Palm Sunday and Easter and everything we've been talking about. But do you remember how Jesus reunited with Peter around the fire and he asked him a question after his three doubtful denials? He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Feed my lambs, he said. Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. And then he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus asked Peter to face up to his own doubt and his own denial. Doubt in the life of a believer can be an entryway into a deeper relationship with Christ. It was true for Peter, and it was true for Thomas, and it can be true for you. Christ is calling us, and, and he's, he's sending us, and he's pointing us individually and as a church towards something bigger and better and greater. Don't take your eyes off of that because of a, of, of a, of a little pandemic. <laughs> I know. It sounds crazy. But we can, we can be drawn into doubt because of circumstances that we're in that are beyond our control. 
Don't allow that to happen. Jesus asked Peter to face up to his doubt and denial. He gave Thomas an opportunity to face up to his, and he will give us an opportunity. Do you have doubts today? Take them to the Father. He loves the Peters and the Thomases, and he welcomed them home. And he will welcome you home too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we are honest with you, we probably do have some doubts today. And there may be something that you have laid out in front of us plainly and said, go and do this thing. Go and talk to this person. Go be uh, a provider for this person. Be salt and light for this person. Uh, Do not fear. Do not be anxious. But go and do this thing. I, I don't know what that is for anybody, Lord. I only know that for myself. But I I am certain that you work that way with with everybody. I've seen you work that way with me, and I've seen you work that way in the lives of, of many Christ followers. So, Lord, today there are folks that are maybe doubting. Lord, they want to come back. They want to accept uh, that you have the best promised for them. And, Lord, your scripture is full over and over of promise after promise. And, and Lord, help us to remember, to, to look back and see what's come before. Promise after promise and care after care uh, and need after need that you have provided and that you have given to us, Lord. We have no reason to doubt that you will not continue to act the same way going forward. Lord, forgive us like Peter and like Thomas for doubting you. Forgive us for doubting you like the Israelites did. Lord, we want to know what it is you want us to do. And when you tell us to do it, Lord, I pray that we will not be afraid to do it. That we will act in belief. We will act in certainty. We will act in trust. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that that we won't let current predicaments and current situations to crowd out what you're really doing and what you really want. So Lord, we bring our doubts to you today. All over Chicago, all over uh, other places we're at, Arkansas, New Mexico, Ohio, wherever it is, Lord, we just bring our doubts to you. We understand from Scripture that doubt can be an entry into a deeper relationship with you. Peter entered a deeper relationship. Thomas entered into a deeper relationship. Lord, I pray that as we bring our doubts to you, you'll replace those doubts with faith and with trust and with certainty that we might today enter into a deeper relationship with you. One that says, yes, Lord. When you say go, when you say speak, when you say whatever it is that you tell us to do, Lord, that we would say, yes, Lord. And remind us of the stories of the Israelites in the Old Testament and the warnings that come with doubt and disbelief that we might honor you by saying, yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.